Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of Eco Chic is brought to you by Aspiration, a better way to manage your money. You can get up to 10% cash back at environmentally friendly partners, which means your conscious consumerism is actually paying you back. You can access up to 20 times the interest of a traditional bank and pay zero fees at over 55,000 ATMs nationwide. Learn more at aspiration.com eco. Listeners of this show are even being offered up to $200 when you open an account. Again, aspiration.com eco. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What? Like it's hard? Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It's so good to have you here today. I hope you are having a really fabulous week so far. I'm thrilled to bring you this episode because we are hanging out today with one of my favorite people on the internet, one of my very first podcast guests ever, and one of my very favorite people in the sustainability movement, Ashley Piper. If you are thinking you've heard that name before, you probably have. Ashley Piper is a journalist, a TV personality, media personality, a consultant, and she is also an author. She is the author of Give a Shit, Do Better, Live Better, Save the Planet. Now, when Ashley and I first chatted, right when my podcast launched, right when her book launched, it was about three years ago, and she was really in a position to make a serious splash because just the title of the book, Give a Shit, it really packs a punch. And she acknowledges that in this conversation that I'm about to share with you. And I think that in the last three years, there has been so much hype and attachment to this title because Ashley has really created a space in the sustainability movement that wasn't properly defined before. For people who want to do more than zero waste, who want to do more than just eat plant-based and Create a space where you could learn about a lot of things and then pick and choose what makes sense for your lifestyle. And Ashley describes in this conversation we have today the journey to writing that book and what it means to have a handbook for people to 
again, learn about things, learn about different rungs of sustainability as she calls them so that they can figure out what works best in their life, continue to work a little bit harder on other things, check their privilege, and make sure that we are all progressing in a really conscious way. She does not sugarcoat anything. That's probably the best thing about her. She's so real. She's so upfront. She's so honest. And she tells you like it is. And I mean, for that reason, even just the title of the book, I'm going to go ahead and say there is a little bit of explicit language in this episode. So just as an FYI, if you're in the car with kids, but overall, I think the value of Ashley's voice in the sustainability movement is that she is the person telling you exactly what you needed to hear. And she is also a big advocate for individual action, which I think has been a bit of a lost message in recent years. So when this show first started, as I alluded to when we chatted, I was a huge advocate for individual action. And I still think it's important. But in especially the last year with how tumultuous, let's say, political, we've always lived in a very political world. But especially in the last year, the discussions around sustainability have felt particularly polarizing, in my humble opinion. And I am someone who loves to talk about regulation and policy and the need for economic solutions to our climate crisis, because at the end of the day, it's not really about relying on the goodwill of a bunch of people to do the right thing. We need aggressive action, and we need that at the federal level. We need that from big businesses. We need that from fossil fuel companies. There's a lot to unpack, and a lot of that needs to be driven by policy, but That policy only happens if we are electing people that give a shit. I'm serious. It's all about making sure that your individual actions are trickling into the rest of society. And Ashley very eloquently advocates for individual action in addition to policy, in addition to reform, in addition to the collective, because it's not one versus the other, as she says. It's a lot of things. We're all going to need to work together, and it is all driving us towards a more equitable, healthy, sustainable future. And I just have so much respect for Ashley. I love her messaging. And I think there's a reason that her book became such a phenomenon and it is still actively being taught in schools and she is still doing so much press around it because again, there really was nothing like it before. And it is such a joy, such an honor to be able to consider her a friend and to be able to chat with her so openly and without an agenda because we get into a lot. We talk about influence, we talk about greenwashing, we talk about the process to write her book. As I mentioned, that whole publishing process and everything that came along with it. And again, she is so honest and real about the whole thing, very straight up. And then we also get into, again, this individual versus collective idea. And where does the individual really fall in this bigger climate conversation right now? So we get into a lot, and as I said, it is such an honor, such a joy to speak with her, to consider her a friend, to be able to participate in these conversations over and over because the landscape is constantly changing when we talk about sustainability. I am not having the same conversations I had three years ago. She is not having the same conversations that she had three years ago, and it is seriously such a pleasure to learn with her and to grow with her and to continue to have these conversations so that we can invite as many people into the climate conversation as possible. Ashley is an incredible educator. She does a lot of work advocating for sustainability, a lot of zero waste tips, a lot of local work. She's constantly on the Today Show, it seems. She does big time things, small time things. We talk about what it means to tailor your message to your audience and figuring out what resonates with people. 
And again, just really emphasizing that you don't have to do everything. You just got to pick one thing, run with it, get good at it, and keep growing from there. So with that, thank you so much to Ashley for joining me for this conversation. I hope you guys all enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please make sure to rate and review the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can follow the show on Spotify. And if you are subscribed, you'll always know when I get a new episode up. And I think that is the easiest way to make sure it's constantly downloaded. You're always kept up to speed. And you can send this show to a friend. It helps me out a lot. Send it to someone you think will appreciate it. Share it in the group chat. Share it on your Instagram story. You can tag me at Podcast. I always like to see what you're listening to. And quick housekeeping, our book of last month's book club, April, the book club pick was the Bill Gates title, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. I will be speaking to Zara in the coming days and you can expect that episode very, very soon. I have not picked what the May book club pick will be yet, but I will announce that on Instagram and I will make sure to share it as soon as possible on the show. So if you are listening and reading along with us, can't wait to chat about that book. I have so many thoughts and I think it's going to be a really great conversation with Zara. So make sure you're subscribed and looking out for that. And with that, let's get into today's episode all about influence and greenwashing and book publishing with Ashley Piper. Enjoy. Always a joy. Always a joy. Ah. Oh my goodness. Well, how are you? How are you doing? Um, First of all, I'm great because this is, we are almost three years. This is like almost our three-year reunion of the first time I did the Ego Chic podcast with you, Laura. And I feel like in that time, the podcast has just been this flower that has just been, uh, you can't see my hands or maybe you can, but it's just been blossoming into just this wonderful vehicle to, to message and signal boost a lot of different voices in the sustainability community. You're doing a great job. So it's fun to, fun to see you three years Thank out. You. Thank you so yeah. much. Well, you are oh my like God. a personal hype woman. I have to say, <laughs> I want you to come back more frequently. I want you much sooner next time. But Love three it. years ago was also the launch of your book, Give a Shit. And I feel like the world has really not just received it well, but embraced it so thoroughly as a new sustainability kind of personality that people can take on. It used to just be like the Whole Foods burlap sack mason jar sure. trash people that we were both out to kind of you know be an opposite of and you created a guide that people have really attached themselves to like you oh, you really you. set the scene for a new kind of environmentalist oh man thanks very much for saying that sometimes it doesn't feel that way but i really appreciate your insight on that because that does make me feel nice that was my hope that it would speak to some people who felt maybe just like that what sustainability wasn't a a group for them so it seems to be, yeah, it seems to be doing well. Like even in June, at end of June, it'll be officially three years since the book has been out and it, you know, we're going now on multiple reprints and restocking and stuff. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to see that people are becoming more interested in it. And it's always fun to see who's reading it and like, just like what people have gleaned from it. Like everybody takes something different from different things. And it's just neat to see like the habits that people have shifted or the mindsets that have shifted. And it's been really interesting also just to see how like kind of the sustainability influencer community has, has really shifted and also just really exploded. I don't consider myself to be an influencer per se. It's not my 
full-time job, but uh, it's super interesting to see how that has just become like a real industry. Yeah, it really has become a real industry. And it's also cool to see people um, attaching themselves, like you said, to different parts of your book. I remember Mm -hmm. the first time I read it, something that I aggressively attached myself to was the idea of antibacterial hand soap. And then you're going (laughs) in with probiotics and like the kind of disjointed nature of what it means to use antibacterial hand soap. And I was like, oh my God, like I am not critically thinking about my products. Like even if I'm buying something in a plastic container, I'm like, why this one? And I'm now I'm a very nervous consumer. And I feel like I say that all the time, but I, when I am ready to purchase something, I think about it for like 30 days, 20,000 years, something in between there. And then when I finally (laughs) buy it, I'm like, okay, am I sure about this? Like, did I really pick the right brand of, of hand soap or whatever it is? Not that extreme, but you know what I mean? Like, I just, I think really critically about things now. So I loved that about your book. And I have to ask you also in the three years, how has the conversation around the book changed? Because when it first came out, you were doing so much press around what it means to be this very thoughtful environmentalist and you're still doing that. But I have to imagine like as the kind of environment around sustainability has changed online, the conversations that you're having are changing too. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting question. When I think about how it's changed, well, first of all, I mean, I knew going into publishing the book, having a title like that was going to make it pretty impossible for me to even promote the book on TV or radio because uh, shit is one of the banned words in the United States, especially on air, um, unless it's like a cable network or something. So, you know, I was having conversations on a more like media kind of scale, mainstream media scale, just about like sustainability. But I think it kind of, those conversations were a little bit divorced from the actual personality in the book, which is my personality. And now it's been interesting to see kind of who the book has really resonated with. And it's largely been younger people. I say younger people because I'm about to be 40 and everybody seems younger to me, but but in a good way. And it's just fun to see how people are like 18, 19, they're really plugged in. They really get sustainability, but they may be wanted. And what they've maybe gotten from the book is encouragement that you know, you're not weird or strange or that encouragement that these steps actually do matter. I think that's the biggest, um, that's the biggest kind of conversation piece that I, I feel like the message has evolved into nowadays, because we, we do get a lot of conflicting or seemingly conflicting information around sustainability. There is no one rubric for it. There certainly shouldn't be any one gatekeeper for it. You know, I've been doing this for almost 10 years and I, while I consider myself an expert in certain things, like I would never uh, say like, oh, this person's approach is shit, you know, because that's not one, that's not my place. And two, sustainable living really does look different for everyone. And that was kind of a big piece of encouragement in the book is to get people to look at what their value systems are, really scrutinize those and then determine from those, like what pillars of sustainable living are you most interested in pursuing and what works best for you but it's been so cool Um, and sometimes frustrating I'll be real like sometimes it's just been you know all of the change in the marketplace you know we all have to pivot and we all have to figure out like who our audience is and what's the best way to message things but uh, it's been interesting to see one how companies have shifted to really acknowledge people who are concerned about sustainable living as 
actual, uh, a very lucrative consumer base to be marketed to. That wasn't something that when I first kind of started doing this really existed. There were a lot of smaller brands that were really earnest and wanted to do good things, but there wasn't like there weren't these huge initiatives around sustainability. So that's both awesome that these companies are doing that and caring, but you know, it's earth week. So we all got to be on our toes about how genuine those commitments are. And also, you know, be, I think really cautious about, I'm just going on a tirade right now, but I, you know, I'm very much in this space where I've never been an influencer who does like a sponsored stuff and promotes products necessarily. I occasionally will promote things like a smaller business that I really personally have used and enjoy, but I don't get paid for those things. No shade to people who do those, who do that. Influencing is a legit business and you got to get paid for your time and effort. You know, content creation, all that stuff is not free. People got to make a living. That said, there are just, I mean, I just feel like we're getting like pimped products constantly. And at the heart of sustainability, I really do feel like it should be making do with what you have whenever you can. But also, I, I don't want buying to be a barrier to entry for people uh, to live a more sustainable life. Like we already know the sustainability movement has been uh, pretty racist, pretty exclusionary. And the last thing we want to lob onto that is telling people you you need to have like a $350 countertop composter, whatever the fuck, right? Like, so that's, that's been something that I've been kind of trying to balance and be mindful of. Um, because I think the real sustainability message here is that we need to make do with what we, we largely have and be resourceful around that, as opposed to consuming and then very mindfully supporting these kind of smaller or really earnest um, businesses that are doing really good work. And so sifting through which businesses those are and which businesses those aren't is kind of complicated. And I think the influencing culture makes it even more complicated because it's like, well, who do you trust? Like, there are a lot of people I trust and think are marvelous, but because they need to make some money to keep the lights on, they're doing partnerships with companies that I'm like, holy shit, you know, so it's fine. But it's, I think for the average folks who like are not like us, we're not, they're not so knee deep in sustainability that can be a little tricky to kind of figure out like where, where they should be putting their money, where they should be putting their efforts. Cause I've had people tell me, oh, I want to live more sustainably, but I don't have enough money for all those stasher bags right now, or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, that's not anything y'all need to be super worried about. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think <laughs> a lot about this culture of pimping products through <laughs> sustainability influencers, because I agree. People need to get paid for their work and people need to keep the lights on. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like it makes sense for a lot of these partnerships, but there's certainly people who vet their partners much more thoroughly than others. And I think once you get into the space, I mean, even within podcasting, there's a lot of um, podcasters in the sustainability space that I really respect. And actually there's, there's not that many of them. There's maybe like tops 10, like, you know, established podcasts in the space but you can tell who really vets their partners and who does it and listeners start to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And that's more the space where like I interact with brands. I don't, I don't do anything like on social in the brand partnership space. So I can be a little bit more yeah. authentic about who I'm criticizing. But that's yep. the other thing when you are getting a paycheck from these people, your hands are kind of tied at to what you can criticize. So that's a whole other problem of like, if we're going to be 
inundated with all of these brands and we're believing that these uh, social media personalities are the people we're trusting to vet them. Who's telling us that someone's like not as good as they're saying they are? How many, right. um, you know, I think about like that Jeff Bezos, Amazon, um, like Earth Fund Bank and what mm-hmm. a total scam that kind of is. And, you know, I encourage people to yep. go down that rabbit hole. But there's so many people that like at the first sight of that, if you're not well-versed in sustainability, it's so great to say like, oh, wow, like $10 million or whatever it was. Like, what a great thing for the rainforest. So when you are presenting so many like greenwashed campaigns to the general public, it's hard. It's hard to criticize Mm -hmm. because people don't get it sometimes. It's hard to like make a case against things. Yeah. And you may, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like I am like you, I don't, um, even if I go on TV, right. And I bring a brand's products on TV or something, which I have done because that's what a lot of times shows want to see some of that. Um, I never get paid for any of that. If anything, I mean, I feel like I should, but uh, it would be nice, but you don't get paid for any of that stuff. You can't because it's a conflict of interest. So I do feel like being an influencer comes with a certain level of being like tied down. Like you're not as able to be free, I think around evolving your beliefs about companies, criticizing companies, um, criticizing practices. That's, um, you know, and then I also think there's a certain level of originality that can be lost as well. And again, I'm not critiquing like people's content or good efforts because we're all in this together. Like, you know, and I, I really think like, the folks who are tearing up TikTok and stuff like, like, I'm never going to go on TikTok and be a a phenomenon or whatever. That's not my lane. But, you know, the people who are doing that, I get what they're doing. And I think it's really powerful. And it really resonates with particular audiences. But, you know, you lose a little bit of, we've all gotten those kind of ambassador and partnership PR type emails that it's like, come be our ambassador, come be our partner, and we'll send you a menstrual cup. And in turn, you'll create a bunch of content for us. And I'm like, one, I don't do that shit for free. Okay. Uh, like that seems crazy to me to do all that work and have it be like for nothing. But two, like we see so often people do the same promotions at the same times because, you know, PR companies are looking to just like have as many social media hits as possible for the product that they're repping. They're not necessarily looking for like a really genuine kind of dripped campaign that's gradual. So I see all the time people are promoting, you know, I don't want to necessarily call out products, but they're promoting the same stuff. And my feed looks like the fucking same. So it's the same phenomenon that has happened to regular influencers who were not at all concerned about sustainability. You know, like they would all be like, it's the Nordstrom sample sale or, you know, all that shit. And they would all at the same time. So you lose a little bit of um, freshness to that content, I feel, because when you, when you have to make money in this way. So that's more me just saying like, I sympathize with content creators and influencers because that has to be difficult to juggle all of those kind of competing priorities, keeping things fresh, and also having to be somewhat allegiant to some of these brands because there is a transactional exchange going on. Quick break to tell you about Aspiration, my new favorite way to manage my money. Now that the weather is nicer, I am loving hiking season. It feels so good to be outside enjoying some fresh air. And now that I'm vaccinated, I am loving sitting on a patio enjoying a margarita with a couple of other vaccinated girlfriends of mine. So life feels pretty good lately. 
And in all of these newfound warm weather experiences, I am actively doing my best to make sure my money is where I want it to be. AKA not sitting in a big bank being invested into fossil fuel companies. I am not interested in my hot girl summer funding fossil fuel corporations because did you know big banks invested almost $600 billion last year in fossil fuel companies? I don't need to be doing that. I would much rather my money being working for me, working for environmentally friendly partners to Aspiration where I can get up to 10% cash back. And another fun bit, I love that my spare change can be invested into planting a tree. So over and over again, Aspiration seems to be the clear choice for all of my favorite warm weather activities, for all of my conscious consumer value system, and for just making sure that my money is making the world a better place. If you'd like to check it out for yourself, I highly recommend you pop over to aspiration.com slash eco. It was seriously so easy to make an account and move my money over, and I just immediately was able to get started. I actually am shocked at how easy it was to get started with Aspiration. So if you're on the fence, if you've heard me talk about it before, today is the day. Aspiration.com slash eco. Now back to the show. Oh, absolutely. I immediately thought of the Dove refillable deodorant. I saw yep. so many sponsored ads for Dove refillable deodorant, and it sounds like a great idea. I don't know that much about it, and I didn't look too much into the product, but I saw so many of them. I was like, I guess I'll pay attention to this if I ever see it in stores or whatever. So yeah. now I'm like kind of flagged. But it's interesting that you say you have this allegiance to brands when you are a content creator because. You, on the other hand, while you are not promoting things on social, you found a means that really made sense to you. And it's writing and speaking about your work and speaking about your expertise on TV shows and through media channels. So I would love to hear, actually, if you could take me back. So we know that the book was published now about three years ago. And Mm -hmm. I have to imagine you started writing it at least five. Like, what was that process like of, of your book? Like, early creation of Give a Shit? Yeah. You know, I want to issue the caveat too, that like, I'm not an influencer. I don't get paid for my work in the sustainability space. I do it all as like a very impassioned hobby, like a free fucking hobby or whatever. So if anybody's like listening or watching, or maybe has some, like is laboring under the misapprehension that I make money doing this, I really don't. Uh, I have like a full-time job as well. That's completely divorced from my sustainability work. And I think that's just important to note because the reality of influencer culture, we assume a lot about people's lifestyles and really like, I know a lot of influencers, they'd be living with their parents right now. You know, they're not like, you know, or they're working another job or they're barely making ends meet. So, you know, just a caveat that like what we see on social media, these people who might have hundreds of thousands of followers might not be living as large as we might think. And also are hustling like in a lot of different ways on this side. So Cause I have people be like, well, you get paid so much to do TV. And I'm like, the fuck I do. I like literally lose money doing TV. I don't know what these people are talking about here. So anyway, that's just a little You're like, totally right. we don't know people's lives. You know, we don't know that beautiful house that that like 22 year old influencer is living in might not be, they might be living with family or something. We just don't know. So that said, yeah, the journey of the book was interesting. I had been doing TV and, and stuff before the book. And then I kind of just based upon a lot of feedback I would get from segments and, and, you know, from talks I would give, I thought like, God, there really needs to be like a one kind of stop shop 
for sustainability information. Um, there were obviously a few books that were out in the market, like Zero Waste Home, which does a fabulous job of talking about uh, zero waste lifestyle. But to me, I feel like zero waste is just one rung on the sustainability ladder. And there are other things there as well, like, you know, veganism or vegetarianism and fast fashion and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There are a lot of different rungs to it. So I wanted to put that all in one place and kind of demystify it for people and have it feel actionable, but have it feel uplifting. The other kind of climate change books that were out were really scientific. They were packed with great information, but like, I mean, I have a master's in statistics from Oxford and I still would read these books and be like, the fuck? like, it's just too much. And I could not imagine like my father or someone who just is like, give me the baby reading those things and feeling energized to do something about it and feeling empowered to do something about it. So I wanted something that was kind of like, Hey, we're shooting the shit still really rooted in good data. Um, and you know, facts and science, but also kind of like, Hey, and you're powerful and here are things you can do and giving a, a list of things. So people have choice. So that was like my desire. And then it just kind of happened pretty, I'll say it happened slowly and then quickly. It happened slowly to find a literary agent because at the time wasn't really, a lot of people weren't into sustainability. Um, and then it was, we worked together on the proposal and went to bid for it. And the first time the bid totally flopped because basically you have to have like, you know, you have to have the proposal go out to um, publishers and editors at publishers. And then there's a specific day that they can bid on whether or not they want to like buy the book or whatever and produce the book. And I had a lot of interest from these big publishers. In fact, I had an editor at Simon and Schuster who was like, let's do this thing. But then she got another job right before the bid and she couldn't bid on the book. So I felt pretty dejected from that whole situation. And I ended up like taking like six months to just like tail between my legs, like really evaluate, should I even be doing this? Is this, people don't seem to care about sustainability in the mainstream. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe this isn't for me. So I had a real like soul search moment and I, I don't mean to get into like the TMI of it, but I think it's important to say that because like people, again, you don't, they don't see like all the back work and all of the disappointments and all of the rejection and the challenges. They just see someone has a book and they think like, well, what probably what I thought when I would see people publish books that like either someone self-published, which I didn't, or that some like agent just came to them and said, my God, you have so much to offer. Let's have you write a book that that happens, but it happens like more rarely than, you know, it's not the rule. So then, you know, my, when Trump was elected, my literary agent was like, um, you know, like we'd, we'd still been in contact with friends and stuff. And she was like, you know, I really, really think with a few tweaks to the proposal, now is the time to get it in front of like fresh editors and like propose it again. People are becoming more interested in climate change now that we have a climate change denier in the White House. So let's see, let's give them some hope. And that's what we did. We, you know, like edited the proposal a little bit, went back out. And then this time around five publishers were in a bidding war over it. It was really fun. <laughs> it was really fun and really cool. But it just goes to show how like in six months with a few societal changes, the entire ethos around sustainable living changed. Like people were like suddenly gave a shit about it. And that's actually where the title kind of came from as well as that whole journey of publishing the book. 
I had had that one editor at Simon and Schuster in the first round say, you know, I had a different title for the book. It was lame. It was more about veganism anyway. And uh, she was like, you know, I really think uh, reading through this, I really think this book should be called like give a shit or something because it just makes me want to care. And so when we decided to go back and look at it again, uh, my agent and I were both like, what do we think about give a shit? And that just kind of how the title came about. But um, yeah, so then I, after, after I got the book deal, or after I decided on a publisher and got the book deal, I went with Hachette, which is great, because um, they had published some other books that I really liked, like um, You Are a Badass uh, by Dun Sincero. They, I thought they'd done a nice job with that. And um, they also really respected that I wanted a book that didn't have a hard cover, that I wanted it to be sustainably printed. You know, all that shit. Like when I see sustainability books come out with a hard cover, I'm like, what's going on? Like that's like five times more paper. I don't know. And a lot of times people don't know because you can't expect writers to know how book production is done. You know, it's not their field, it's not their purview. Um, so I really felt like my publisher got it and was like, let's do this. And so after that, honestly, the journey to write the book, it was like only a few months. So it really wasn't that long at all because we wanted to get it out while Trump was still in office early in his presidency or whatever clown show that was that we just got out of. And, um, and yeah, and we wanted it to be like really timely. So I just was uh, going to work during the day and then at night, you know, staying up and writing the book. And that's, that's kind of how it came to be. So that was the journey there with bringing it to bringing it into the world. Okay. Well, incredible. First of all, I appreciate (laughs) your transparency and saying that there was these early rejections. And I think that before I spoke to you, I initially thought like people who write books, like this is this is their like, this is the meal ticket for the rest of their life. You write a book and you're rich and famous and you move on. And that's literally not what happens at all. People write books because they have a story to share and Mm -hmm. you do it because you like have this interest, a labor of love. Like you're not, you're not doing this out of any sort of kind of self-righteous, you know, desire to be a big name in the book industry or whatever it is. And you have made such a name for yourself in again, creating the space of getting people to give a shit. And I think that's an absolutely perfect title. Like shout out to that publisher because absolutely (laughs) correct title. And I also think that there's this sense of people just get book deals. Like someone's going to come up to you Mm -hmm. and say, you do such a great job. I, you know, I saw your Instagram post and it really inspired me. And for that reason, here's a book deal. And that's just not what happens most of the time. And I see it a lot with like, um, not necessarily in the sustainability space, but I'm thinking of like a uh, girl with no job who I, I really like her, Claudia Ashray. And she mm-hmm. is, she, she's a memer. Like she posts memes and she wrote a book during quarantine came out and I guess it's, I haven't read it yet. And I'm probably going to read it at some point, but there's something about that, that I was just like, oh, she just like woke up one day and wrote a book. And that's not what happens. Like, I mean, I guess for you, you just, you stayed up all night and wrote a book, but <laughs> the point of the story is like, you don't, that's not what happens most of the time. You have to really want it and go after it. And you don't do this because it's like, you know, your meal ticket or your, yeah. you know, way out of your full-time job. You do it because you care about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, learning, a, like even having my experience in the publishing industry, uh, there's so much that like, lay people just don't know that's why when people ask me like or say oh I want to write a book you know the second you write a book 
people come out of the woodwork and they're like, I want to write a book too. And they want to pump you for all the information, even though like you've never heard from them since they used to make fun of you in high school gym class or whatever the fuck, you know? And so you're like, okay, I'm glad that you want to just come through, use me for my info. But that's why I'm transparent about the journey too, because it was something that it took me a long time to kind of learn the ins and outs of it. But once you like understand how publishing contracts actually work, how advances work, like a lot of people are like, wow, in advance, like now I can, it's intended for you to live off of really. So you can write the book. Um, they, they vary widely by like how much money they are. And usually you don't get any royalties from your book until you've completely made up your advance. So that's something that I didn't know. Um, it's totally fine. But that's just something that's kind of interesting uh, and pretty standard for like most publishing contracts, unless you are like J.K. Rowling or John Grisham or someone and you can just negotiate the hell out of like just smash the system and you're totally different. But yeah, it's not. Um, I, I know people who have had like multiple New York Times, like, you know, bestseller kinds of books or shout outs on the book review and stuff. And they're like not making much money off of their books. So like you said, it really is. It's not like a get famous or get rich quick scheme. It's like extreme amounts of work. And it really needs to be about something you're genuinely passionate about. And I think that's kind of why in some cases, the process to getting an agent or the process to publishing a book is difficult because it's kind of meant to test you to see how much you actually feel like your message and you as the messenger is valuable and worth it to bring out into the world. Um, you know, because it, it will try, it will try you and uh, certainly try, certainly tried me. I took up smoking again. You know, I mean, I was just like, oh, the book ah, off the rails, but um, it's, you know, and then you have something that kind of hopefully lives on forever and helps some people. And that's, that's always fun. But the oh, journey, yeah. you know, I would say more often than not people I know who write books, that is not the case that like, that is my journey is kind of similar to theirs more than the whole, like, Oh, an influencer was discovered and now is writing a book, you know, or whatever. But right. yeah, it's right. You know, right. This is a podcast about publishing a book. Apparently. <laughs> oh my Sorry, goodness. I, well, again, I, I appreciate, no, I, I love your transparency. <laughs> You're always so real. And that's something I love so much about you. And I mean, I have to imagine also now that you are doing so much uh, work with TV and that you have been even before the book, you do so much uh, public facing sustainability work. You have to really tailor your message and your delivery for that audience. So mm -hmm. going on, a major, you know, cable news show is very different from going on maybe like something locally or speaking to some sort of like local sustainability group or whatever it may be. So yeah. I would love to hear some tips that you may have for delivering your sustainability message as widely as possible. Like, what do you keep in mind when you are going on the Today Show? Well, I think the number one North Star, aside from being, you know, culturally sensitive and uh, kind of like sensitive to just the needs of the various audiences, because even in, in this year, for instance, I think of just some of the speaking gigs I've done, I've done something for like a horticultural center whose like members were largely like, uh, you know, the elderly, um, really like avid gardening, elderly people who were super energetic. And that was like actually really flipping fun. And then I've spoken at conferences for Indigenous and First Nations tribes in Canada about sustainable initiatives. 
in which I felt like when they asked me to speak, I was like, yo, you know, you know, I'm white, right? Like, I mean, I felt very bad. Like, uh, you know, I, I feel like I have a lot to learn from indigenous communities about sustainability, not the other way around. Um, and then I speak at like high schools and middle schools where I'm sure these kids are like, who's this fucking fuddy duddy, you know, like whatever. So about ever, no matter what, I try to um, make sustainability feel fun and warm. Like I try to kind of make it the same way I try to make my life. You know, I used to be very militant. I used to try to like really badger people into making changes because they were things I was passionate about you know, like the whole baby vegan syndrome, like the second you become vegan, you're like, come over to my house and watch earthlings. And like, you lose all your friends because they think you've lost your mind because that is not fun for people. Um, I learned, you know, that like, it's nobody's going to come to the fold. No one is going to be interested in whatever you're passionate about. If it's politics, if it's animal rights, if it's, you know, slow fashion, whatever it is, if you're like judgmental, if you make it seem hard, if you're uber serious, like all of that, I think just has like a dragging energy that makes people go, nah, I don't want to be part of that. And so I've, I'm Southern. I've always been really inclusive. Like, Hey, y'all come over here. Hey, you, I've just met you, but come on over to my house. And I try to kind of have that same, uh, that same vibe of just like, there is no barrier to entry here. Like there is no, uh, perfect person in the sustainability community. There's no perfect age or, you know, any kind of thing. And so, yeah, that's my main thing. It's just to make it seem fun and like something and feel energetic about it. And I find that that transfers really well, no matter where you are and, and who you're speaking with and, you know, to just keep it as inclusive as possible. Like I struggle with this. I think we all do, especially, you know, I'm really white and I want to make sure I'm checking and recognizing my privilege all the time. And that I'm also holding space for and signal boosting people who have been marginalized um, and not just in the sustainability movement, but like in life, you know, and uh, I always try to stay open to like, I may have honed an expertise over a decade, but I am teachable and I evolve. And there are lots of things I learn every day from you and from, you know, all sorts of people on the people on the internet, people in real life, um, that, you know, it's not a static journey. It's constantly evolving and there's always room for, you know, correction and, uh, like taking a different path or doing something different. I love it. Inclusive sustainability, like Southern hospitality, sustainability. <laughs> I love Bring in the that. Triangle. Come on, some sweet tea. I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I love it. I love it so much. I, um, I went to college in North Carolina and oh, I did not grow up. Yeah, I did. I grew up in Miami. So like not really Southern, but going to school in North Carolina, I learned so much about inclusivity is an interesting question in North Carolina, of course, sure. but the idea of like hosting people, of wanting everyone over, of like, you know, I made this huge pitcher of sweet tea because I knew that you would, you would really enjoy it. Like that whole, um, just like the family atmosphere. I love so much. Like when you go to a restaurant and everything is family style, that's like my favorite way to eat. I just, there's yeah. something about it that's <laughs> so uh, like wholesome and community oriented. And yeah. I think that's a good approach for sustainability. And I didn't really think about it that way, but you're totally right. You have to go <laughs> into, you have to go into sustainability with this kind of inclusive, everyone come over, bring what you want, like take what you want kind of yeah. mindset around it. And yeah. the last thing I'm going to ask you, because I want to sure. respect your time is 
knowing what you know now, doing all of this work, talking about being teachable, what do you think is kind of the number one message that people are missing in the sustainability conversation? Are people not attaching themselves enough to veganism, plastic? Like, is there anything that you didn't talk about three years ago that you're making sure to highlight now? Like what's on the forefront for the sustainability conversation? That's a good question. Um, I think, well, there are two things that kind of jump out at me um, that seem like common threads. So one, I think what we talked about around the, like, you can't buy yourself into or out of sustainable living, like, uh, as creating kind of more vigilant and well-educated consumers and, you know, followers or whatever you want to call them. Um, So I think that's kind of, that happens with every movement though. I mean, like, look at veganism, right? Which again, I consider to be like a rung of sustainability, Um, 10 years ago, people were like, vegans are literally the biggest losers, you know, which is always fun to feel in your heart. And now companies are like, hey, bought an almond milk company. Hey, you know, just bought, follow your heart, vegan aids, like whatever it is. Um, So any kind of consumer base that becomes a legitimate consumer base starts to get marketed too. And that marketing is super insidious. It's constant. And uh, I mean, can you tell I work in marketing full time as my job? Like, I know the number of impressions we try to get uh, in front of people um, to get them to buy something like, right. And this, that we're seeing that happen with the sustainability movement. We've seen it happen with loads of other movements in the past. So I think, you know, educating people around you don't have to have a lot of money to live sustainably. And you certainly don't need to spend a lot of money to live sustainably, um, whatever that might look like for you. The second thing, and I think this has been an ever-present issue, but it's kind of gotten uh, more problematic, I think, a little bit, is that notion of personal responsibility in sustainability. Because we, you know, we have data and we know the stat about a handful of companies, most all of them are in the fossil fuel industry, who are responsible for, you know, a, a goodly sum of the harmful carbon emissions in the country. I, you know, agree that that is shit. And we know that we have to do a lot on a regulatory and kind of just des- generally dismantling uh, really harmful industries that are harmful in a variety of ways. We need to do a lot of that work. And activism is wonderful for that. Public policy is wonderful for that. Political involvement is great for that. But as we as people, you know, we are either directly or indirectly consuming from and creating demand from those companies. So I see us, especially those of us who are white, those of us who have means, those of us who don't live in food deserts, you know, it is incumbent on us to exercise that privilege to live more sustainably in our personal habits. And so I do see a lot of people who will kind of like post stuff like, uh, don't worry about being vegan because it's, you know, Exxon that's fucking up the planet. And I'm like, this is not an either, or this isn't this and this and this and this, like all of these things have to come together to, uh, to create the solution we're looking for when it comes to climate change. So there's, there's no thing like, oh, we'll have regulatory change of like, you know, various fossil fuel industries or the transportation industry or the agricultural industry. And, uh, that's, suddenly going to fix the problem. No, not really. We need all of it because it complements each other. And I really do obviously believe in the power of the individual rolling up to the collective. I mean, if we have seen that in other movements this year, 
probably more than we have in our recent history, especially in the United States. We have seen how people kind of of all walks of life are mobilizing um, and making their voices heard because they feel something is important. That is something that gets sparked on an individual level. Um, and I feel the same about our habits and things. So I think sometimes uh, very well-intentioned figureheads and influencers can post shit that kind of absolve, makes people feel absolved from even trying to live sustainably. And that bothers me because a lot of them, these are not people who are living in food deserts, experiencing extreme oppression. Uh, you know, these are people who are, well, generally like pretty prosperous influencers who will then say like, don't even bother being vegan or don't even bother recycling that thing. And I'm like, the fuck? Like, yes, bother. Like if you can bother, bother to do it because we really do need all hands on deck, whatever that action looks like. So that that kind of warring between industry responsibility and personal responsibility in, in the sustainability movement, I, I think is has become a little bit convoluted and has has unfortunately fed into that feeling of apathy that prevented people from, you know, embracing sustainable habits in the first place. And that that's not I don't I'm not into that. Thanks for coming to my wow. my boy. She just like, I, that was excellent. I just feel like fireworks just went off. I was like, and said my piece there, but that was excellent. No, I mean, I think a lot about first of all, even just going back to this whole supply and demand thing that you alluded to, that industry demand does generate something to market towards. And I think a lot about dairy-free ice cream, such an easy mm -hmm. example, but you know five years ago, even there wasn't full refrigerators in the grocery store dedicated to dairy free ice cream. And now it's, no. it's the thing. It's a full refrigerator, two refrigerators. It's, um, I mean, we're constantly getting marketed towards it. And mm -hmm. it's interesting to see all of these kind of, um, vegan brands becoming so normalized in that someone who is not even interested in living a vegan lifestyle can mm -hmm. absolutely agree that oat milk is the best kind of milk. I mean, oat I milk mean does it all. So let's just tell the truth. It's true. I mean, let's just admit it. Oat milk is the best kind of milk. So, so good. There is so much to say for the supply and demand side of things. And I completely agree that personal responsibility is great. Industry action is important, but they don't have to exist in totally separate Venn no. diagram circles. We can, we can make it happen together. Yeah. And we cannot parse out like we can't dissociate the problems from each other. You know, like we know we have really hard and fast data that post-World War II are like in the United States, our uh, global emissions that are harmful went up astronomically. And that's because we had an industrial boom, you know, the rise in just general industrialization of everything. That's because the notion of the American or westernized or colonial dream became one of just rampant and immediate consumption. So that's partly on us, maybe not necessarily directly on you and I, that would have been our grandparents' generation, but like that is on us human beings. And we, we move about in a society that still largely operates like that, you know, that still has that immediate gratification. I want it. I get it within an hour. I get it within two hours, two days, whatever it is. And so we can't like, in ex we can't suddenly divorce ourselves from industry and act like industry exists in a vacuum because that's just not. That's just not how it does. Without us, there would be no industry. Mm. And there would be, you know, no industries to thrive, to continue to fuck up the planet. So I think there's a lot of value in being, holding companies accountable and, uh, you know, communicating with them what our desires are, you know, 
activating whatever activism channels we have around that. But uh, the one thing we can always control, and I think a lot of us found this, especially through the Trump administration, the one thing we can always control, even when there's a rampant climate denier in office making all sorts of wacky and uh, very harmful public policies, is, is what we eat, what we buy, what we wear, you know, our behaviors. And so I always feel like we can't lose sight of that because it's still it's still very, very important. If not just even for optics. I mean, think of the people who, how many conversations you've gotten into because someone saw you bringing your own cup to Starbucks or, you know, bringing your own takeout containers or carrying a reusable bag, whatever it is, like how many conversations get started that way? And those conversations are contagious. They're electric. People feed off of that energy and get inspired by it. So I think the individual is a lot more powerful than we have been given credit for. In order for us to kind of take credit for reparative individual actions and climate change, we also have to take credit for the really harmful things that we've done in the past. Like when people ask me about individual versus collective action or industry regulation, and when it comes to sustainable living, I kind of liken it a little bit to being actively anti-racist, right? Like uh, I see it as like, no, we need a complete systemic overhaul because this system that we live in, this society, has been built with the intention of making BIPOC fail, basically, making their lives incredibly difficult. And we, in turn, have benefited from that. Uh, Just because I know the system needs to change does not absolve me from individually doing actively anti-racist work, you know, and educating myself. And so, so I kind of like to liken it to that because I feel like people are starting to get to get that concept of like the self and the the collective or the system when it comes to other topics. But for sustainability, I think sometimes we lose sight of of how powerful we actually are individually. Excellent metaphor, I have to say. (laughs) Excellent metaphor. You have such a gift for making things make sense. Seriously, Mm. I never thought about it in that sense. And as someone who thinks... Yeah, as someone who thinks that she's a conscious consumer and this big time advocate for, you know, whatever I like to claim, I think that there's a very easy, there's a tendency that I have to just like say the same thing 20,000 times. And I'm like, what do you not understand about fast fashion? Like, what's what's the disconnect here, everybody? Let's move mm-hmm. on from H&M. This capsule yeah. collection, sustainability, Earth Day capsule collection is a lie. Like, what? Like, what are we missing? <laughs> So once you get into this, uh, you know, once you get into this dance of making things make sense in a lot of different ways, making metaphors, making things happen, it just goes back to what you were saying, inclusive sustainability and making those conversations fun and relatable and letting people take what they will. So I've got so much to learn from you. Always love it. Oh my gosh. It's always a pleasure. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining this is always so fun. I just, next time I, next time we do this, I hope maybe we're like in person. We got like a frosé in hand, you know, we're watching, oh. we're watching some kind of, I love that you're, I love your uh, focus on all of these like movies, kind of these, this, these nineties artifacts. Cause that is when I was growing up. That was, and so it's fun to see how like circular it is now. Um, and I love uh, yeah, your feet is always jogging my memory of like, my God, I remember that. That was so great. So we'll have to find some, we'll lay poolside. We'll just be covered in rescue dogs. We'll be drinking froze. Oh, twist Whatever. my arm. Oh my I God. Know. Sounds it's awful. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I'll get like a brutal sunburn. It'll be freaking great. 
Um, oh, but I, I really appreciate you and everything you're doing. You know, you're, you're oh, also yeah. one of those who's got, you know, you got a job and you're doing this. So anyone who is doing this stuff on the side, unpaid, like you clearly have like the passion to, for this. And I think Thank that's you. so, so rare and so important. So you're Thank really doing, you. doing the work out here. I appreciate you for it. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you. We're just like here hyping each other up. Thank you so, so much. This has been a gem. Oh my goodness. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Ashley Piper, author of Give a Shit, TV personality, and all around badass sustainability person. I love learning from her. It is so good to connect again. She is going to be back very, very soon. I hope that she joins us for a book club in the coming months. I'll keep you posted. But if you enjoyed this show, like I said, share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at Eco Chic Podcast. I want to know what you want to hear. And if you've stuck around to the very end, I hope you have rated and reviewed this show on Apple Podcasts. It is so good to know what you want to hear, like I said. So with that, thank you so much for tuning in. It is so nice to chat with you again. I will have the links in the show notes to connect with me, to connect with Ashley, to check out aspiration.com slash eco. Highly recommend again. And I will talk to you next week. Have a great day. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.